Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the podcast of the Practice Manager webinar run on Wednesday the 23rd of September. So welcome everybody um, to our Practice Manager webinar. So we've got um, Nigel joining us today to give us an update. Then we've got um, Director of Primary Care giving us some more updates, which would be great. So I'll just hand over to Nigel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Louise, and welcome to everybody. Um, quite a challenging day yesterday with all the advice about um, COVID changing because of the uh, increasing numbers across the country. Just to put it in perspective, locally our levels remain very low. Um, certainly Hampshire, Dorset and Wiltshire, there's one or two um, of the cities which are slightly higher. But, you know, looking on the um, data this morning, we're sort of between two and five per hundred thousand places um, in other parts of the country at 290 per hundred thousand. So the level of COVID locally remains quite low. It is obviously much higher in parts of Wales, um, the Midlands, North England and Scotland. Um, that doesn't mean we should be complacent. So all the stuff that we've been doing now, we need to continue doing. Um, you will have started your flu vaccine campaigns. If you've had your deliveries, I think most practices have started. Um, I'll probably not say a lot about that because I think Michelle's going to do an update later. Um, I mean, just to reiterate from our point of view, um, please don't vaccinate the 50 to 65 year olds who don't have a um, underlying reason for being vaccinated. Please save the vaccine till later. Um, but otherwise, please make sure you target the, the significant at risk groups, particularly the ones who have significant health inequalities. Um, we've obviously got the advice about PPE going into um, your clinics that you're doing, or vaccination clinics. Um, and that's helpful in terms of throughput. We're still seeking some clarification nationally what that means for care homes. It's still not 100% clear what you should be wearing if you're going into a care home. Um, but I'm sure you've linked with your care homes and worked out uh, what that will involve. Um, there is um, a challenge with the vaccine supplies, you know, in terms of you all ordered your vaccine at a time when uh, you didn't realise COVID was coming you didn't realise that you're going to be asked to vaccinate twice as many people. And many practices are concerned they'll run out of vaccine. So if you look at the quadrivalent and the trivalent, my understanding is most of the vaccine that's been bought that will be distributed later is the quadrivalent for the under, under 65. So every year you vaccinate locally somewhere between 70 and 75% of the over 65. So hopefully this year you've got enough trivalent vaccine, um, but it's the quadrivalent that will cause a issue. But hopefully um, the Department of Health has purchased a significant amount of that, which we will um, learn in the next couple of weeks how that's going to be distributed probably in November time. And then we'll be clear about um, if we can have enough vaccine to vaccinate the uh, 50 to 65 year olds who don't have another reason to be vaccinated. Um, I'm going to send something out about COVID vaccine that we're supporting the phase three trials, which are going to go ahead locally. And they're looking for GPs, nurses, et cetera, to try and support that in the sites that they've got. There's also some positive news about the COVID, COVID vaccine becoming available, but that's not going to become available till the end of this year, the beginning of next year. And even when it does become available, it's going to take some months to get through the whole of the population 
particularly if you need two vaccinations, a, a single one and then a booster, which we think is, uh, my understanding is that's what's going to happen. They are working on nationally what the priority groups are. So, you know, you will start off with the healthcare workers um, and social care workers and then work through those at most ri- risk, ending up with the younger people who are not at risk. So we'll get more information as and when that becomes available. Um, I'd like to just briefly um, refer to the letter that was sent out uh, from the LMC in response to the media coverage. And again, I've said it on these webinars before and in my email updates. I think it is amazing how practices um, have responded to the first phase of COVID. Um, And you as practice managers are instrumental in how you've led your practices um, with support of your GPs, hopefully, and work together in your PCN. And I think it is incredibly unfair that um, one or two practices in the country who haven't been delivering the service that they should have done means that a letter has been taken by the media and then portrayed as general practice really isn't um, delivering what it should do. Um, The opposite should be true. They should be praising general practice for the transformation that's occurred, the level of care that's been delivered, and just the sheer flexibility of general practice. So I know I've heard from some GPs and some practice managers about how demoralized they feel following the media cover coverage. Uh, personally, um, the media have never let a good story, that the truth get in the way of a good story. So please um, uh, be congratulated. You, you all have done a fantastic job and continue to do that. Workload is a challenge. Uh, I don't need to tell you that. And talking to practice managers and GPs, most of you are now at your winter level of work reaching capacity. And yet, going forward for the next few weeks, it looks like the workload will increase more with the winter infections, potentially the return of COVID uh, and other things that might happen. So, you know, we are going to have to manage the next six months, which may be really challenging. But I would reiterate the advice we've given before is, Um, You can't do it all yourselves. So we are working with the CCGs Um, in Hampshire. We've got an agreement to step up hot sites and got funding for those coming through. Um, I think we're going to need to expand our workforce over the winter months. Uh, Many PCNs are sitting on funds from the £1.50, which goes to PCNs. I mean, I would just encourage PCNs and general practice to work out over the winter months. You may have locums around you may have gp returners you may have people prepared to do extra sessions just try and make sure that the workforce is sufficient to meet the demands and i can promise you that um, the lmc and others are pushing nationally to get additional covid fund for the winter months of general practice um, so that we are able to manage the workload um, and actually the health and well-being of practice managers gps and the rest of the staff is also looked after The other bit about workforce is um, the additional roles money. You know, we would really encourage people to make sure you use the additional uh, roles funding to get people in place. I absolutely recognise that some practices have said, we haven't got the headspace, we can't get people in post, just haven't got the time. Again, I know the £1.50 may be um, on elastic, that it's stretched every way. If you haven't got the time, please you know, fund the time from somebody else to use that money. 
the, the disaster from my point of view is if money gets returned to Treasury and they look and say, well, why does general practice need that money um, next year and the year after because we're getting money returned? So we really do need over the next few months to try and maximise um, the funding that's going into the additional roles. And those people need to be taking work off uh, GPs and practice nurses and really working to support your practice rather than just sucking in other work. Um, last week we did a news update which you know in previous times wasn't the practice manager update it was the clinical update but some of you may have joined that. Um, we recorded it and it's available on our website and I went through in some detail the contract changes for QOF and the QI elements of the contract which you can listen to or listen to on our audio podcast. And there's also about 20 minutes on the new appraisals for GPs, which you might find interesting. There is some new guidance which has come out, which is to do with the PCN DES, and I'm just working my way through that. And hopefully in the next day or so, I'll send you another one of those brief short emails that I uh, do, which hopefully will give you some information which uh, might clarify some of that. Um, I... Haven't, well, I actually got lots more to say, but I'll, I'll stop there and I'm quite happy to answer any questions for 10 minutes before I have to dash off to another meeting. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, there are just two questions that have come in already. Um, can you give advice about medicals or feedback from others? Query non-essential work due to current workload, but taxi medicals and Coast Guard seem quite important. So yeah. should the practices be doing those or not? I mean, I, I recognise that practices have lost income you know the idea that we'll be protected well practices have lost um, income from personally administered uh, some about minor surgery some from local authorities and some from you know income such as private medicals which just helps support the practice and funds your staff so as things are at the moment if you have the capacity to do it i would i would start doing those sort of medicals um, but as louis says some may be a higher priority than others Okay, thanks, Nigel. And just one more question about Track and Trace. Um, the website for Track and Trace states 14 days from date of last contact with infected person. Um, a member of staff has, um, has, has gone to the website to talk to the call handler, but they gave them a later date for starting work again. Does the practice risk a fine if they get her back two days later, which is what this call handler said, or do they go with the website guidance, which said 14 days? I think you have to follow the guidance and it depends. I mean, it, it's probably a shame that you, that you weren't able to ask the call handler why they're going against the advice. I mean, the advice on the website is pretty clear um, in terms of, you know, if you've been exposed, how long you need to stay self-isolated for um, if the person has tested positive. Um, probably just to actually, um, I don't mention... Um, testing but actually do recognize that going forward uh, most of our families uh, those who've got children or grandchildren virtually a week won't go, go by and one of them will have a temperature and I know practices are already affected by people having to isolate because their children have got one of the usual and there's a rhinovirus going around at the moment which isn't COVID so there are lots of GPs and other members of staff having to isolate for a bit while people try and access testing. Hopefully testing for GPs and their staff will be improved. Certainly there's a scheme being put in in Dorset and Hampshire and I think priorities in Wiltshire. So hopefully that will get better. But we're also talking to the paediatricians across 
uh, in Hampshire to look at could we develop some pathways for the children over Christmas or over the next few months, sorry, because I think it could cause a major problem um, in terms of repeated presentations and people repeatedly having to self-isolate while they find out whether this person's got COVID or not. Okay, thanks. Now, just one more question before you go. When you say COVID hot hubs are going to be funded, do you mean we'll get funding for manpower to be backfilled? That's what's being looked at in Hampshire. So they're looking at a number of sites. So it won't be in every practice, but they're looking, they've bid and secured funding from within the CCG across Hampshire to be able to do that. Okay, that's, all, that's um, enough questions. Um, thank you, Nigel. That's, that's been really helpful. Um, Carol, I think, thank you for struggling to get in. I hope you're in okay now. Um, it's very good to see you. Um, are you okay to do your um, overview now, please? Actually, I was going to ask Michelle if she wouldn't mind doing her bit of flu update first, um, because that follows on from Nigel, and then we can and then we can go on to other stuff outside of flu, if that's all right. Okay, um, hot off the press, you may have all um, received an email today, which identifies some of the um, work we've been doing. We've had a number of queries around flu uh, that are, that's coming over the last couple of weeks, and we felt that we had so many that we wanted to update our hints and tips booklet. So I've emailed out, um, myself and Helene have emailed out um, literally about half an hour ago with a list of the things that we've amended. So you can go and have a look at those if you wish. Uh, some of the things that we've covered in there are data entry and the use of smart cards, um, pregnant uh, members of staff and, and immunosuppressed members of staff and giving nasal flu. Um, PGDs, who can authorise them, and some information around PCNs using PGDs. Um, we've also covered a frequent question we're getting asked is, can HCAs work alone without direct supervision or access um, to a healthcare professional? So we've responded to those within our document. So hopefully we'll have received the email. It's gone to all practice managers and nurses. Um, and if you've got any queries, please contact us or you can either come to us direct or via the office email. Um, we're hearing some really great stories uh, from practices that are vaccinating huge amounts of patients um, really successfully and really organised. So I think maybe in the next couple of weeks, we might be able to share some really good news stories about what's happening with flu. Carol, can I just start? There's just a flu query that's just come in. It might be appropriate to say that if that's okay. Um, are we able to use the nasal flu for learning disability patients if they are needle phobic? Helene, you might want to have a comment on that. Uh, yes, the guy, there is some guidance, no document around that actually. And yes, you can. Ah, that's straightforward, wasn't okay. it? Lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. That's, over to you. that's the sort we like. Okay. Um, just one final thing on the flu. Um, We've been contacted by some practices saying that the, uh, the uh, suppliers are already asking you to do your orders for next year. And um, our advice at the moment is the JCVI has not yet reported. Until the JCVI reports, we don't know what you need to order because we don't know what the vaccine's going to be. We don't know if there's going to be the ATIV and the QIV, et cetera, as there has been this year and last year. Um, and we also don't know what the cohorts are going to be, um, depending on how we go this year. So I think our advice is don't be pressurised into this. It's, it's, it's the wrong time. Um, obviously, as soon as JCBI reports, as soon as we get more, we will come out to you. But at the moment, I think you're going to have to push back. OK. Um, 
so just um, just as an overview, we've been doing some uh, having a look at the data on COVID. I mean, I think most people know where we are because you hear it all on the news. Um, so COVID is is a high risk again at the moment. I mean, the second wave that was predicted back in July is starting to happen, but it is happening in pockets. In Wessex, we are actually um, very, very low. And in fact, I think this morning, we thought what we should be doing is building another Hadrian's Wall around Wessex and we'd be fine. Um, but unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that. So um, we're just keeping an eye on things um, all the time. What we've also been talking about is the COVID vaccination that is likely to be available. Now they're saying from November, um, I think we're all a little bit skeptical about that. Obviously it's got to get through the trials, it's got to get its license, um, but we know, and there's a lot of work going on on this nationally and, and, and they want it out as soon as possible. We um, sort of, you know, going on previous things that have happened like this, we believe the vaccine will be available probably after Christmas. Um, and because it's going to be a vaccine that's going to require two um, jabs, and they've got to be four weeks apart, it's going to take right through probably until next summer to vaccinate the numbers required to ensure we've got the herd immunity. So um, it's, this is not going to go away anytime soon. And it's, and it's, you know, it's going to be with us for quite some time. And I think we all just have to um, start to live with that. I think we already have, but, but um, I think most people were hoping for a, a, a quicker uh, resolution. On that, saying about that, so two vaccinations four weeks apart, and it also can't be given at the same time as the flu jab. Um, they are talking to all sorts of different people about how this vaccination is going to be delivered. Um, we all know that the best people to deliver this sort of mass vaccination is general practice. We also know that you're absolutely up to your eyeballs, on your knees, and with everything else going on, it's going to be a nightmare. They are talking to the army on the logistical side um, um, and we're just waiting to see what they come out with in terms of plans. Obviously, it's going to have to be for us like it was when, when COVID first came in. The more they want you to do of a particular type of work, the less you can do of others. And, and there's a real balance to be struck there and we don't know what that's going to look like at the moment. So it's just a bit of a heads up. Um, I think there's a recognition that that you are all and practice um, primary care is on its knees. Um, if they put any more on us, that something's got to give and we've got to be really, really sure about that. As Nigel talked about workforce and capacity over the winter, you're under pressure to restart all your screening, to keep your childhood ins going, your long-term conditions. Um, it does need workforce expansion. That point is being made absolutely forcibly um, at, at CCG level, at regional level, NHS England, GPC, BMA, everybody's making that. As you know, we collected a list of um, GPs and nurses who wanted or were um, available to help with the COVID. We think they should also be allowed to be available to help with any other winter pressures, even if it's as a backfill for a GP doing other work or a nurse doing um, flu clinics. But we're still trying to find out whether or not we can use them and that you can claim the funding for it. It's all very, very um, fluid at the moment. Um, one of the things we were discussing at our management team meeting this morning is, and, and I don't want to create... Um, 
pandemonium or anything like that. But if your PCN is one of the PCNs that hasn't used up its £1.50 per patient yet, for goodness sake, get it used. And it can be used for anything that the PCN believes is going to help it. So if that is backfill, if that is bringing in extra workforce, then by all means do it. Don't, don't, don't ask for permission, get on and do it. Oh my God, here we go again. I'm going to get into such trouble. <laughs> ask for forgiveness, not permission. Um, we're also looking at trying to find some ways of um, supporting you and helping you to get that headspace to actually work out what it is you need to do and to get those plans properly in place, whether it's, you know, being able to take some work away from practice into a different sort of um, way of working. But we're, we're, we're doing a lot of work on that. Michelle came up with some brilliant ideas this morning. So um, hopefully we'll come back to you in a week or two with, with some suggestions because Whilst most of you are very innovative and you are brilliant at running your practices, sometimes it's quite nice to hear from somebody else and go, oh, yeah, hadn't thought of that. Same for us. We, we talk to lots of other LMCs as well. Um, I think that's really about all I um, wanted to say. I know Nigel mentioned PPE and we know the portals now opened itself up so that it's not just for crisis. Unfortunately, the caps are still there, but based on different size of practice. If you do have problems, if you think you're going to run out, talk to your CCG. Each CCG has a lead for this and they will be able to help you. And that's the same with um, COVID testing for your staff. Um, your CCGs, all of them now have started to put in place or have put in place um, mechanisms for you to get your staff tested so that they're not away from the workplace um, for any longer than absolutely necessary. Um, will the vaccine, this is the COVID vaccine, be ordered centrally or will we need to purchase and be reimbursed? Do we have any idea yet? We believe it's going to be done centrally, but I tell you the worst thing about it, and I wasn't going to tell you this because this will just de depress you all, it's, um, it's not going to be pre-filled syringes. It's going to have to be drawn up. And there's two different um, uh, temperatures at which the two parts of it have to be kept. So again, this is why I think they're looking at massive logistics in terms of the army because of refrigeration and stuff. We don't know a lot, but it, I just felt it was only fair to be as transparent with you as, as we possibly can be. We don't know a lot yet. We just know it sounds like a, a bit of a nightmare. Um, but if it's going to save lives, that's how we've got to think of it. Helene, did you want to say anything about that, the pre-filled syringes or... No, no, I think it's, no, I just think it's still early days, as Carol said, really, in the logistics. I mean, they're talking about storing one of the vaccines at minus 70, which yeah. you know, is just, we don't have that capacity within um, in general practice, but you, you, can't give a, you can't give an injection at that temperature to a patient. Um, you know, it'd probably do more harm than it would do good. So it's still very early stages. I think things will change and develop and evolve, and obviously we'll keep you updated as necessary. Thanks, Helen. A couple of other COVID-related questions. Are the final business rules out yet? We were told families of COVID high risk are a priority and learning disability patients should be vaccinated. Not recognised yet on EMIS, but not sure the rules are out yet. No, they're, they're not. Sorry, Michelle, did you want to say something? Go on. So I'm not sure if the business rules are out, but we do know that there is a special code for the shielded patients' families, which Dawn has um, updated in our Hints and Tips booklet. You're right, though. I'm not 100% sure if the business rules are out. I've just had a quick look on um, on NHS Digital's website, and there was an update on the 10th of September 
so they might it might i need to go and have a look at them they might be out they may not be but we'll we'll confirm you're right though at the audi patients were also prioritized in there which i think were an updated cohort so we just need to we need to get that information out. Okay, so I'll clarify that and come back when we're, when we're really sure. Um, just a couple point of interest, PPE portal, if you've got more than one site, you can register each site so you can submit more than one order. So that might be quite helpful for some, some practices. Thank you. Good tip. Um, in terms of a COVID test, do these plans for staff include non-clinical staff getting tested quickly as well? Yes, they do. It's all, all practice staff um, because a lot of, you know, particularly receptionists, dispensers, people like that have children. They come home with a snotty nose from school because head teacher said, no, you're not in here. Um, yeah, it's all practice staff. OK, lovely. And finally, COVID vaccine, will it be 10.06 times two for each patient? We have absolutely no idea. Uh, and again, at the moment, we don't even know if primary care is going to be asked to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I cannot believe personally that the army has enough uh, medics and nurses themselves to do all of this. I, I just can't imagine. But, you know, who knows, you know, um, innovation. Then we, we might all be asked to go and train to give vaccines. <laughs> on your lease of life, who knows? Um, <laughs> Michelle, Michelle, I think we had another question came in on email this morning about face coverings. I didn't know whether that now would be a good time as we're talking COVID and flu. Um, let's talk about that one. We can do. I think it was really just asking if any of the new um, information that Boris has released to, uh, in the last couple of days um, affects general practice. I think I'm really sorry, but I think the answer is it doesn't because it, I think it focuses on pubs and shops and, and various other organisations. So I think practice, we would suggest you just need to encourage patients to wear face coverings or masks when they attend the surgery. I think we would encourage, you know, we should encourage patients to do that. I, I don't think the new um, information that's been released affects general practice that would be my no, i think i think what what they've what they're going on is the fact that in the areas that have had to go into lockdown like places like bolton and that what they, the data is showing them that it is the 20 to 29 year olds that are carrying it and spreading it now they're not being particularly ill with it but of course they're passing it on to people who are far more vulnerable in some areas they're saying the data up to the age of 35 is quite bad so it's obviously people like my son who are the party goers who would think yeah i'll get over it you know but it's what they're doing and what they're spreading it um so that's i think that's where we have to be cautious with all of our patients and staff thanks Sorry, some universities are going to be testing the students every week. So, yeah. and again, that's variable throughout the country, but certainly some universities are taking that on board. Thanks, Helene. I think, that's, so we've, I think we move on to Helene's um, two items I think you wanted to update us on, please, Helene. Uh, yes, it's, as um, Michelle has said, we've recently sent you all out an email um, to update our flu document. We've also included a few other things, just dealing with queries that come in, really. Um, one is around the maternal postnatal examination, which normally takes place six to eight weeks post-delivery. Um, from the 1st of October, um, it has now been stated in the contract that the examination has to be undertaken by a GP. And this is uh, the newly updated regulation. So just wanted to make you aware of that. And then the other, the other thing that has come in is um, I've had a few nurses asking whether they are allowed to do the six to eight week baby check. Um, commonly known as NIPE, N-I-P-E. Um, normally this is undertaken by a GP. It can be undertaken by another professional, 
but they have to be deemed as competent and you have to we would advise evidence of further training which would include annual updates it's quite a comprehensive examination it's a head-to-toe examination um, and it's combined with you know looking at the history of the type of delivery and the ongoing development of the child and um, we put a link into the government website about this which is which is quite informative actually and it was, has recently been updated and it provides good practice guidance and um, recommended timescales and things. The important thing is if it is delegated to someone else to ensure staff are competent and capable and meet the recommended criteria in the document. Um, there are courses available um, for people to undertake it. In fact, uh, Bournemouth University are running a course in the also e-learning for health is quite a lengthy course um, and it's done at level six and seven um, but there is more information online for you to have a look at and then the other thing um, is I laugh because it keeps coming up and it's with a bugbear in our in our in the LMC is about ear irrigation um, there's a lot of variation in the advice that practice has been given um, particularly clarity around whether this is an aerosol generated procedure um, I'm sure you're aware irrigation is not stipulated in the GMS contract, but as a GP and a nurse, we have a duty under the contract to assess the patient, um, undertake the appropriate examination and decide whether ir- irrigation is the best course of action. Never obviously refusing appointments for those patients where um, earwax may be contributing to hearing loss. The challenge really is that um, general practice is classed as medium and high risk and we would suggest that you probably shouldn't be undertaking this within practice. However, uh, it is up to the individual practice to um, do a risk assessment. And we would recommend that you um, look at the national guidance and liaise with your IC lead at the CCG prior to restarting um, irrigation. Um, Obviously, if things change, we will be in contact. um, And I am aware that some uh, practices in uh, other locations have actually restarted irrigation but that would be our current advice thank you helene that's great um lisa i think you're going to update us on um, data security only thanks louise it was only just a really quick reminder that the dspt toolkit the revised deadline is fast approaching so that's the 30th of september so everybody needs to return their their self-assessment and publish their dspt on the website by the 30th. Um, If anybody needs any help or support, um, all the DPOs across the patch are happy to help. And I know particularly Hampshire and Dorset have been quite proactive in terms of developing resources. Um, But any any difficulties, get in touch with us also. Lovely, short and sweet. Thank you, Lisa. Um, Michelle, I think you had a couple of other things you wanted to update us on, please. Yeah, just a couple. Um, the first one is around, there's been some updated guidance around the statutory sick pay and what employers can claim back if a member of staff is self-isolating due to surgery. So it's worth having a look at that. Look at that. If you've got a member of staff that this affects, have a look at the gov.uk website, which I believe is on our website, um, and just make sure that um, if, they're in, if you're entitled to claim this. The other... Um, that I want to update on is the GMC have published some guidance. It's actually for their staff, which provides um, support and information and a bit of context about how they manage complaints that uh, are context created by COVID. So it's really helping them to consider uh, the impact that COVID has had. And if they get any complaints about GPs, how they're going to manage it. It's worth having a look at in case, you know, if you sadly have a, a GP that's going through that. Thank you, Michelle. That's great. Um, 
Carol, is there anything else you want to particularly want to say or should we go on to the questions? Uh, no, no, I think we've covered everything we were thinking about today. So, yeah, any questions? Okay, Lisa's just got a good point. I think QR codes. Lisa, did you want to just say a little bit about that? Only that we've had a, a few queries from practices around whether they should be using the QR codes for test and trace. Um, there is some guidance to say that um, practices can. It's an, entirely up to them if they want to. There is no requirement. And I think the expectation is that they should have a pretty good idea of who is coming in and out of the practice via appointments. Uh, they may want to do something in the waiting area if, if sort of family members and others are coming in, but there's absolutely no requirement they have to do it. And there's a little bit of guidance out there which we can send around with the FAQs. Thank you, Lisa. Um, Carol, they've mentioned funding for clinicians. What about help for admin staff? <laughs> We're not even sure we're going to get any funding for anybody, never mind um, clinicians. So, I mean... <laughs> I think this is one of the ones where the income protection um, has kicked in on quite a lot of stuff. And they've, you know, I think the BMA and GPC have tried very hard to make sure that, that there's income protection for certain things, the quaff points, that there's double quaff points for some of the stuff that has to be done, including flu. And Nigel's spelt this out massively in his newsletters and in last week's um, news update. So I think we're not actually sort of saying, um, we're not differentiating when we talk about income protection and, and double funding for flu and stuff. That money is for your practice to use um, to make sure that you can keep going, keep sustainable and do the work you have to do. It's not necessarily pointed at one person or another. Backfill, on the other hand, if we get it, at the moment, yes, it's all about GPs and nurses because that's where the additional work is being seen. But absolutely, if you don't have admin um, supporting that, I can see why you know um, everything will fall down. All I can say is we're doing our very best um, and we will keep doing our very best and, and the GPC is doing exactly the same. Our worry, of course, is that Boris is spending money on all sorts of things and, um, you know, we, we're, we're in a very long queue with our hands out, same as everybody else. Talking about having your hands out, um, golden handshake for practice managers yet, Carol? What, what's the what's the latest on that? It's still being talked about. It's still being talked about. I, I am I am absolutely so hoping it's being by next April, but at the moment we've got no no movement on it, other than there is a willingness by NHS England to talk to the BMA about it, but that's as far as we've got. Okay, what's the LMC's take on potential? for all DES, e.g. IMS and VAX. NHSE are refusing to honour NHSE comments that our income is being protected. I mean, the difficulty is, I think with IMS and VAX, they should never have actually stopped other than obviously travel VAX, and that was for a very good reason that nobody should be travelling anyway. I mean, so all the childhood IMS, whilst it's not protected income, it's because the childhood IMS has to continue. So you can't protect something that the activity has to, has to keep going on. Um, I mean, we do, obviously, our stances, everything should be protected. But, you know, we fought long and hard with public health to get the, the you know, the health checks and, and the various things, the needle exchange and all that sort of stuff 
protected. But their cabinet office gave out a different message because they felt that, you know, um, we fell between a rock and a hard place with that one because we're not allowed to furlough staff because we're publicly funded. But we didn't come under the, the cabinet office's rules to local authorities, which said you actually have to almost be going out of business. And of course, we're not going out of business. Um, she says so you know it's 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 we absolutely agree of course it should be yeah. of course we should do it. we we just you know we haven't got that power um all we can do is just keep plugging away which is what we're doing yeah i mean i think the comment back is it's in shingles numa mmr all they're all down because of covid which of course we understand but it's just frustrating um there's a question in michelle and um helene about hcas giving flu vaccines i think this came in as an email also to the office this week i wonder if you either of you could perhaps helene you'd like to go first about what hcas can and can't do so hcas can give out nasal flu i think it comes back to the there is some national guidance about um training and education for hcas around immunizations one has to remember it is guidance it's up to the practice and the person who delegates that task to the HCA through APSD to ensure that the HCA is competent, capable, confident and safe. And that's about having evidence of training and assessing their competency. So not, you know, somebody who's done a course three or four years ago. It's knowing that they're competent and capable of not only giving the vaccination, but also should anything happen, how they can manage that process. So they may have attended BLS training and they may know all about adrenaline for anaphylaxis, but they, do they really know how to administer that, that adrenaline? You know, and sometimes it's worth the practice and CQCs love it particularly. If you run through a scenario within the practice situation, somebody collapses, what do you do and how do people react? Because it's then a real situation. Often, you know, the likelihood of somebody having a reaction to a flu is very, very low, but we can't ignore that it could happen. And when it happens on that one occasion, you do need to be able to manage it. Ultimately, it's up to the responsibility of the practice and the people who delegate the task to the, the HCA to ensure that they fill, fulfill that criteria. And as a registered individual, whether you're a GP or a nurse, that is within your code of practice. And that's really important. I don't know whether, um, Michelle, you want to add anything to that? No, I don't think so. I think you've answered it fully. I think I just, we just pick up, sorry, can I just pick up, sorry, Michelle, I just want to pick up though on the HCA's working alone because that has come in quite a lot into the office and it's the same principle really. The term used is accessible or access, but you know, what does that mean? Is that by telephone, face-to-face -face or whatever? Again, it comes down to the competence and the capability of the HCA. So practices have to do that risk assessment themselves. Um, so, you know, they can give nasal flu, they can give um, uh, flu to pregnant women, that's the other thing. And obviously, everything has to be done by a PSD or through a group PSD. Thanks, Helene. And, and this particular comment was about, it felt like there were mixed messages, one being given at the flu update and one being given an introduction to flu HCAs and messages coming back to the practice were confusing. I think I've gone back to the trainers on this and basically what they've said is just be sensible and wise and apply some common sense with your staff, which I'm sure you do anyway. So if an HCA is very nervous, it might be best not to give them a whole room full of um, children to, to give nasal um, flu to, um, but just 
to get their confidence up in one type of flu vaccine, but there's nothing to stop them doing it. But just be capable, support your staff and support particularly people new to giving vaccines, because as we all know, this is a difficult year and flu is difficult anyway, but this is a particularly difficult year. So I think the trainers were just trying to say, don't overwhelm your HCAs. And they didn't mean the message to come across possibly as it did. Um, and then by the time we got back to the practice, I think there might have been a bit of confusion. So hopefully that's that's ironed that one out. But as ever, support your um, staff. And if they're new to doing something, and support them all the way and some are going to be more confident than others but that's just the same and everything isn't it so thank you um okay moving on so we want a message to date back um carol this is probably one for you um there's a huge knock-on effect of the consultants requesting blood tests and catch up from spring there's less blood tests available at hospitals because of longer duration, changing PPE, that sort of thing. The backlash is to patients and the poor and the poor admin staff here is awful. So obviously patients are getting very cross that they can't have access to the tests they need, even if it's just blood tests at the hospitals. And it's the general practice staff that have been given a hard time for it. And please can you and Nigel take this back to, to the powers that be. Um, well, first of all, I will say we already have. And in fact, even even more than that, I've actually had that conversation with CQC because I'm saying to CQC, our receptionists um, and, and our staff, frontline staff, are taking a lot of abuse from patients who are absolutely fed up um, for that reason, plus other reasons. You know, people are getting quite um, aggressive these days and, and, and less uh, patient about waiting for things so you know we can see that there's a real knock-on effect here in terms of um, secondary care we are working very hard to stop secondary care passing stuff on to primary care that they've always traditionally done and that they should continue to do um, I think I've seen one one lovely letter from a, a GP that was all very polite all the way through and then said at the end by the way I'm not your house officer, I won't say what the word was before house officer. Um, we are constantly in touch with secondary care. Obviously the CCGs commission um, secondary care. So that's another route for you to, on their niggle lines or whatever it is they use um, for feedback, do tell them as well, because they've got a duty to you as primary care to make sure that you don't become overwhelmed. But you're right, we, we are, we're on top of it and we are doing everything we can to stop this happening. And I'm sorry about your aggressive patients. Um, I'm not sure there's a huge amount we can do about that. But like I say, I've told CQC, if they're getting more complaints from patients, they need to take into account why that is and, and that things have changed. Thank you, Carol. I think, um, Lisa, you've just put something in the, the chat box. Did you want to just elaborate a little bit on that with the QR codes? That was just just that was just confirming the test and trace, the QR codes. It's just a bit of the link to the national guidance. Lovely. And we'll put that out as part of the FAQ so people can access that a little bit later. Um, just one comment. Thank you very much, Carol, for um, that comment about the um, secondary care pushing work down and the um, delegates going to raise it at their CCG meeting this afternoon. So I think it's I think it's all these things. If we can just go two ways with the communication, it really helps, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the end of the questions. So thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much, um, Carol, Michelle, Helene, um, Lisa and Giselle, who's behind the blue screen. And um, we will see you again very soon. Thank you. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.